Alright, I want you to go home and rest in isolation, and a week from now, the second part of the podcast is going to be uploaded. But, no, 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 you can't. Anka doesn't allowed files over 200 megabytes, it's around two hours. I'm going to make him an offer we can't refuse. Perfect. <laughs> Butchered that fucking iconic scene for a <laughs> shout out to our podcasting platform. <laughs> The Godfather Part 1, Part 2 of the podcast. Um, so Michael goes to Sicily to hide under the protection of Don Tomasino. Hilariously, yeah, well, hilariously, um, I heard that they couldn't film in actual Corleone because Corleone had become too modern, so that it's shot in a different province of Sicily. Okay. And same in Godfather Part 2, obviously, there's a huge amount shot in... In fact, there's a shot in Godfather Part 2 that is the exact same angle as one of the shots when they're walking through the streets. Okay. Is, is it the same place? They shoot in mm. Part 2? They shot it in the same... They shot it in the same town, because both are meant to take place in Corleone, but they couldn't shoot in actual Corleone, so they just shot in the same town for Part okay. 2. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is it important but that they, it's meant to take place in Corleone? Yeah, of course, because that's where the family name comes Don't from. Don't call it because, yeah. okay. because Vito, Vito's name... Uh, no, Vito gets the name Corleone. I don't know if you remember in part two. No, in the I, opening, uh, because he, um, they give him... It's when uh, young Vito is being processed at Ellis Island, and they give him the name because they just look at his tag and they say, oh, he's from Corleone. His name's Vito Corleone, which is why that border guard in, um, you know, for the Empire called Han Solo, because he's from the Solo system. The solo system. And you would be you would be Gabriel Gabriel Valencia. One second. Wow. You know what's funny about that? About the cat is that in the very famous opening scene of The Godfather, the cat that Brando found on the um, Paramount backlot and has in his lap, that cat was so loud that they had to ADR the entire um, scene. <laughs> really? Oh. Yeah, it was just really funny. I wouldn't. I would have never guessed. Hmm. Oh, there's some really... I, I think this film is almost technically perfect, but there is some really, really bad ADR in a couple of scenes. Hmm. Okay, so, I, talking about technique. Yeah. Uh, perfectly technique. Yes. Technically speaking, is that... um? Did you know that this movie is uh, science fiction? Uh, what, what, what have you noticed? It's, it's because this, this film is set in, in a universe, in a different planet. Uh, where bruises last for a whole year. <laughs> it's not a year. <laughs> it's when it's we see months. Sicily, it's right? months. It's really yeah, silly. No, it, but then, but then there was no, a line it's, later. It's, accurate, it's, honestly, a, it's a line yeah. later that say, they say, "Oh, they left your face perfectly," and I think it's because he's broken a bone. Like he's broken that yeah, bone. It's meant to, right? Yeah, yeah, it's meant to. Yeah, but it's not yeah. very it's clear in the like... film. In the film, it feels like his bruise. It's lasting for mm. months. And it's like... It's the complaint that everyone... It's the one thing everyone notices. And it's a bit weird. Yeah. But then they said that line of... Oh, they left your face perfectly. And it's like, oh. So wait, it, it was meant to be like that. It just... Yeah, I mean... It is a very legitimate complaint a lot of people I've shown this movie to have. Which is, it's not particularly good at saying how long the movie actually takes place over. Like, I, I completely forgot when I did my research for this movie that it takes place over a whole decade, but of course it does. 
decade? It's crazy to think that. It's a decade. Wait, what? It takes place over an entire... Yeah, it takes... The movie begins in 1945 and ends in 1955. So, you know, when he goes to Sicily, he does spend there, like, a couple of years because when he comes back, his kid is... He's been back a year. His, big, his kid is pretty big. He's, like... He hasn't, he hasn't even had a kid when he gets back. Remember how he gets back? He tells Kate oh. he's been back for a year before seeing her. Then we jump in time like five years. Is that what happens? What yeah. The f- okay, here's the way I kind of tracked it watching it. The wedding scene and the horse head scene happen. And then we jump maybe a couple of... Maybe a year? Because suddenly it's Christmas, yeah? And then we have um, the, uh, the veto shooting... And then after Michael goes to Sicily, it's meant to just be only a couple of weeks later. But then when he's in Sicily, it's meant to be, you know, years, like one or two years. And then he gets back to America. He's been back a year. And then we jump another five years for the final third of the movie. It's it's very unclear. And it, it is a legitimate complaint people have about the movie that I sort of respect, which is that the movie does span a huge amount of time without really feeling like it. I wasn't, I wasn't going to say, strength. like, I didn't notice that. Mm. Until you told me. Except for Michael's son. Except for Michael's son. Well, what That's I thought the one happened bit where I'm there, like, that, that makes no sense. Yeah. Was that she was pregnant before he left to Sicily, and then yeah, but even there, he comes it's back, a huge he's a time kid. jump. I thought that's what happened, mm. but no, you just told me that's not what happens. No, that's definitely not what you meant to think. But the first reunion between um, Michael K and, and Michael. K is that um, it doesn't seem like they're that amicable. They're, they're like. No, she doesn't I mean, he ran seem off so and into it. Never spoke and, with him. But apparently, they do get together and have a kid. So, yeah, they get married and have kids. And they get married. He um, he's very unpleasant to her in every scene. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see their wedding, which is kind of odd. I, I thought, I thought, and I thought the whole point was that they're getting back together. That like, they, I thought the point was that they were forced to be together because of the kid. And she wasn't sure about him and stuff like that. And that's why he had that ending, right? Mm. Okay. This kind of changes perspectives a bit, thinking that it's over 10 years. Yeah, a little bit. It's interesting, right? So, Beto actually leaves quite a bit after the shooting. He leaves a couple of years. Yes, he leaves a couple of more years. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, This this timeline is like Terminator. Well, no, actually, I was about to say Godfather 2 is a bit more condensed, but that's just for Michael's story. Michael's story, I think, takes place over a couple of months, and then Vito's story takes place over almost a whole decade. Yeah, but Vito's story... you go from Vito... I do remember Vito's story. It's condensed. It's told in a way that it does feel like years are happening. Yeah, that's true. It, well, it does because have it's that a flashback. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't wait to talk about it, because it's such a... Oh, such a beautiful film. Um, we get the great scene. So Michael obviously meets Apollonia, um, asks for her father's blessing to marry her. And we get wonderful scenes of just Michael, you know, going on dates with Apollonia. I I love that shot of the two of them walking, um, walking along like the country trail. And then you just see the women like trailing behind them because he's, you know, watching her under their supervision, which I think is such a nice sort of touch for Mm. what, you know, dating and arranged kind of affairs under the supervision of parenting, I have to. It's just such a, such an interesting thing. I have to check how accurate some of the Italian scenes are, like the wedding when he's when they're giving out like that piece of bread. I, I think it's bread, right? 
Like at remember, Michael's with, wedding? With 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 her, right? They have like they, they everyone yeah. sit in a circle and they're giving like mm. something to them to mm. Right? I I'm thinking, is that how Italian weddings are or is it more I don't know. It was interesting though. Oh, and then of course, um, after before they get married, but after Michael has started dating her, we get the scene where Sonny goes to um, Connie's house and finds the bruises on her face, and he goes and beats up Carlo. And I just want to—I just want to tell you something really crazy that I realized: the Godfather is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, really? Did you notice? Uh, no. It's a very it's a very subtle thing, but do you notice what James Khan uses to bash Sonny with it, at the end of the fight? A trash can? He uses the lid of a trash can, which of course is what Steve Rogers did. So it's the same lid. And I bet you it's anything. Yeah, no. I bet you anything one of these kids cuz they're probably in Queens, I bet you anything one of the, or, or Brooklyn, one of these kids is a young Steve Rogers who, you know, is about to go off and fight her in the war effort, and he thinks, oh, man, that's that's cool. Maybe I could hold a shield like that. So the whole inspiration for Captain America comes from Sonny, Sonny Corleone. Well done. Ready? That's you ready for good. the Captain America shield? Here it comes. And Captain America... Boom. Boom. Yep. Apparently... Okay, this, this might be just movie legend, but apparently James Caan smashing the trash can on, um, on that actor's head was completely improvised. But he's not hitting him. You can see him throw it way over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's smashing it on the railing. I mean, it's if people criticize it a lot because um, Gianni Russo, who plays Carlo, is excellent in this film, and um, people criticize you know that you see Khan's punch miss him by a mile because it shot profile or long lens, and Khan thought that the camera wouldn't catch it, but it did. I, I think it's a pretty good fight. Oh, I like it. There's one moment you that know, he throws yeah. a punch, and obviously you can see him miss. Oh, it's so obvious. Yeah, it's the haymaker that he throws. Um, it's almost it's the um the the left hook. The left hook he throws is so yeah. wide. It's just ridiculous. It's almost as bad as this, the one in uh, the Irishman. Oh, it's nowhere near as bad as the one in the Irishman. The, the Irishman one, but the the thing that sucks about the Irishman one isn't that it doesn't make contact; it makes contact. It's that De Niro lifts his foot like an inch off the ground and puts it in this guy's hand, and this guy reacts like De Niro's just chopped off his fucking arm. Like he's like, "No, Frank, no, no!" I, I don't understand it's why so... they didn't get the double. A double. Do you think De Niro asked for him to do it because he wanted to feel yeah, that? Yeah, I, I, yeah, you know, I mean. Right. Uh, the, the unfortunate thing about the Irishman is it's the grading acting showcase ever with three of the greatest actors ever who were not right for the parts they played. Yeah. At least for half the movie, they're not right for the parts they're playing. For half the film. What What is a movie that did the aging of a character over time perfectly? It's hard to say, right? Like, What's a film that you could, has that uh, I mean, uh, Citizen, Citizen, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. Uh, I think Citizen Kane, it's... It's a very admirable film, but I don't think the makeup is that good at the end. I don't think it's perfect, I think but the I think makeup. it's pretty bloody good. Oh, Mr. Th- Nobody does some incredible old age makeup. I think the thing with uh, Susan Kane is that it's the, the writing is so enthralling that you don't give a damn it doesn't about really technical matter, yeah. stuff. But like, yeah. I don't think the aging is that good. Um, really, really good aging in films. I have, I have examples stuff of on. really bad aging. I haven't watched Benjamin Button in a long time, but I always remember that, think of that, that one. I I, th- I think I think young Brad Pitt looks really bad though. I think it looks kind of like weird at, at the end of the film. 
Um, you know, a touch in the fight that I love is that uh, Carlos in orange, which I'm not going to, you know, humor the orange means death thing because it wasn't intentional. But I love that because of the particular shade of orange it is, when Sonny kicks him into the fire hydrant and the water, it looks like he's bleeding through his clothes. Like the orange becomes so red and kind of garish. It's just, it's it's a nice thing that obviously may not have been intentional, but I love that that's the effect of the fire hydrant on his clothes. Like you look at that and it's like, yeah. fuck, that, that looks brutal. Like if it was just like a, a black suit, it wouldn't have that effect. So I, Dean Tavolaris' choice is really smart. So it's accidental genius, like all Kurosawa films. Like all Kurosawa films where he... he well, this scene, obviously... Coppola accidentally had a fire showed up to shoot that day and there was a fire hydrant going and there were accidentally all these kids there and he was like oh this is so this is so metaphorical having the young children witness this act of violence it's just so great and this is completely accidental it's you know what's even crazier no this is really really yeah. so the editor of the film accidentally fucked up in on the steam deck and intercut the entire finale with all of these murder scenes that weren't meant to be intercut with the baptism and then you know he accidentally spliced them up perfectly in time with the music and Coppola was like oh that's inc- that's brilliant yeah like the, the murder scenes were for another film right if I remember right. Also, Brando... Yeah, they were for another film. Also, Brando accidentally had a heart attack while filming the scene with, um... With Anthony... With, uh, young Michael Jr. <laughs> like, it wasn't scripted. He did, just accidentally wait, had a heart attack in the Orange Coast. Did, did you know that, uh, Marla Brando, before shooting, uh, the first scene, he actually was eating some candy, uh, and he didn't have time to swallow it, so that's why he has his <laughs> mouth like that. That's why he's coughing. He's, like, coughing around, he's like... Ooh. That's why he can't pronounce properly. Yeah, he's actually got coronavirus. <laughs> um. Yeah, the Italian the Italian wedding between Michael and Apollonia happens, and then we get a very I can't tell you, Gabe, for how sexual the book is, like for how deeply graphic and lewd the book is. It's hilarious to me that we get like the most like the most um, proper sexy, like the most innocuous. Where you see, like, two tits, you see them kiss once, and that's it. That's the only bit of sex you get in this whole... Oh, no, you get Sonny banging that girl early in the film. But, um, it's just really funny to me that for such a... It's not a very sexual sexual film. It's not a very sexual film at all, and I think that's kind of to its credit. Yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah, I mean, Coppola um, was apparently... Yeah. I've I've been watching... how um, much Coppola was fighting the studio... (laughs) On that, I've been, I've been watching Vikings, right? And I yeah. mean, I've I finished the third season. The ending of the third, third season was ooh, interesting. But um, I've been watching that, and there's a thing that I'm, th- I'm realizing is that whenever characters have sex, yeah, it's just that they have sex, right? Like, they, there's no story development, like in Game of Thrones, whenever characters had sex. They, they, it wasn't. It was never about the sex. It wasn't like, oh, we are yeah. having sex for whatever plot relevance. They normally had like sex mm. while other interesting things were going on. I mean, well, that I was feel... the joke about Game of Thrones. That was the joke for the first couple of seasons. Was when they had to get a lot of exposition out. They would like the sexier the scene was, the more boring exposition they had to get out. So, like for the scene when Viserion is talking about how the dragons, you know, will one day come back to the earth. You've got, like, two of the hottest chicks on earth making out and, like, fucking each other. It's like, that was their formula. (laughs) 
And then for like really interesting character dynamic sex scenes, they're just like, oh yeah, they'll just trust a little bit. It's so funny. But, but what have you noticed with Vikings? Just that it's completely incidental that they have sex. No, in, in Vikings, it's just they have sex. Mm. When I kind of feel like it's more interesting when they have sex for or during, right? Well, in, mm. in Vikings, it feels like, oh, it's just... This will be hot, uh, right? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, the sex scene with Apollonia is fine. I mean, I, I don't actually know how old she's meant to be. I can't remember how old she's in the book. But yeah, she's. De- I think she's definitely meant to be under 18. Oh, jeez. I was going to say in the book, she's probably like 16. Because that's how... She's probably like 15 in the book. That's yeah, how books I mean, are written. Like Game of Thrones. Also, it's the, it's the, Game of Thrones. The, it's the 40s, right? Yeah, and Game of, Game of Thrones, Danny is 13. And she's having sex all the time. Well, how old, it's weird. How old was the actress? She was born in 54, so... Yeah, she's 18 when she does this. No. Yeah, so she's probably meant to be younger than this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we get this scene of Kay showing up to the house uh, to try and get a message through to Michael. And I love that there's that car that's destroyed in the background that obviously was there was a deleted scene where that was explained. Is that right? Must be, right? Like, why, uh, why is that there? And you thought that they have fights constantly against the other mobs. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what... Oh, yeah, that's... And that's, it's just, that's probably all it is. It's, yeah. just it's a nice touch. It's a nice touch. It's like, oh, what happened there? <laughs> um, uh, An accident. And it's like, yeah, sure. An accident. <laughs> I'll buy it. All right. That. So here's, here's where I'm going to try and defend the film for doing one of the most... Bizarre plot twists. Not not plot twists. Bizarre plot contrived scenes. But are people swear, not? Are people mad about this scene? People aren't mad about the scene. People are just mad about the explana- the, the fact that there's no explanation for Carlo's plan. Because what happens is Connie gets a phone call from someone she assumes correctly is Carlo's mistress, right? Yeah. And she wrecks, you know, the plates and stuff. So Carlo beats her, and he beats her so badly that she calls Sunny. Yes. And uh, no, she calls her mother more specifically, and her mother puts her onto Sunny, and that causes Sunny to drive towards their house. Yeah. To go and beat up Carlo, right? That's mm-hmm. what that's what happens in the movie. But later, it's explained that Carlo did that on purpose to try and lure Sunny out, and he tipped off the guys that Sunny would be on his way, which is how they ambush him at the phone booth. Well, it's just such well, a yes. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it. I just think it's it's a little bit it's a little bit like the bullet in the wall in the Dark Knight, where it's like it, the more you think about it, the less it makes sense. Like were those guys just parked out there in the fucking toll booths for like days? In the no, case that no, Sonny no. showed up, like he told them when he was gonna show up. Right. Right. He but told, the thing he is told them he, today. He, he I'm gonna. To I'm gonna. I'm gonna make Sunny get come my to mistress me. to ring. Right, okay. Well, maybe she's not even her, his mistress. Maybe it's just... A friend, yeah. A or friend. Someone that or he, just, asked, he asked to do it. Just call me and f- be like, oh, it's Sunny there. I'm waiting for his... On a more serious note. Thing on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. On a more serious note, this is one of the most, like, still to this day, most just raw and brutal scenes of domestic violence ever put to cinema. He The first hit with the, his belt... To her, it's oh. on her belly. It's oh, like, yeah. Jesus Christ, she's pregnant. pregnant. Oh my god. Yeah, no, he, so does, he, he doesn't give a fuck. He, 
Yeah, he's he's great in this scene actually. Um, and and they were they were on really good terms. He was um apparently like a very wonderful guy on set, and Marlon Brando was really really fond of him. In fact, he got the role. This is a great story. He got the role. Another um actor was up for the role, and it was because Brando didn't think that um that uh, Gianni Russo had the chops to play a character like Carlo. So Gianni Russo apparently went up and confronted Brando and, like, got in his face and, like, started yelling at him that he was going to beat him up. And Brando thought it was so good that he said to Francis, you got to get this guy. He's great. And he wasn't acting. He was like, I'm going to fuck you up, Marlon Brando, for getting me out fired from this movie. <laughs> so funny. Um... I listened listen to a really good interview with him for this where he talked about a lot of the stuff that went on behind the scenes on this movie. He's a... Yeah, he seems like a really interesting guy. I mean, he runs a he runs a podcast now called Hollywood Godfathers and he wrote a book called Hollywood Godfathers about this kind of era of Hollywood, which I should read. So it's about... Um, um, I mean... I mean, it's, it's just about of, his... Of the, uh, yeah. of the era, right? I think it's mainly about his first-hand experiences and, like, the kind of saucy stuff that went on behind the scenes and, and also, you know, people he met... Like Brando and um, John Cazale and all those guys. I'm just thinking about other great domestic violence scenes, like like great domestic violence scenes, is in very authentic and brutal. Jesus Christ, that's scenes. that's a weird weird way Hobby, to happy topic. That's a weird way to phrase it. Best. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see the best scenes of women getting the shit beaten out of them by their partners. Is that so much to ask? <laughs> I just want to see. I want to see some really good wife beating in movies. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, Amber Heard is not starring in any upcoming releases. <laughs> but that, no, that's a scene where she's beating someone. That's true. Um, Remember that scene in Aquaman where um, after Jason Momoa doesn't like doesn't take her to the mall when she wants, she like cuts his finger off with her fucking dagger <laughs> and threatens to threatens to ruin his career by throwing um, throwing domestic abuse allegations at him. But I, I do know when uh, I, I do remember the scene when when Aquaman doesn't do something she wants, she kind of like uh, mentally tortures him until he does it. That's actually a scene <laughs> in the film. Oh man, we really shouldn't joke about this, but fuck, I'm just so happy that no, we joked the tables about have complete, the tables have completely turned. We joked her. about Kobe Bryant's death and coronavirus. Oh. We should keep going. That's like just because you've dug the grave doesn't mean you should keep digging. Sonny's death scene. I mean, it's so fucking iconic at this point. Um, I mean, it, it's the most traditional mafia kind of yeah. violence scene in this movie. But I love that Coppola just takes it so much further. Where like it's not, you know, a, a hail of bullets. It's like he is shot more than a hundred times. It feels like in this scene. Yeah. Like, he shot more than that poor guy in Robocop that gets killed by a 209. Oh, yeah, he gets shot a lot more than that. Um, also, uh... We should, we should intercut oh the a 209 scene in this. <laughs> and, and, then, and then he kicks him. In the face. Failure. Yeah, that's great. That's great. He kicks him in the face after, like, when he's already dead, spraying him again. It's so, bu- it's so good. It's such a great scene. And I love that, you know, you don't even see someone reach Sonny's body. You just see the car stop, the guy gets out, they start running, and then we, we fade to Tom just sitting. And Brando comes down. I, I actually think this is maybe Brando's best scene in the movie, emotionally. It's such a short scene, but like, you've got this scene and then you've got the scene with Bonacera right afterwards. But this one where Brando has to show, you know, the overwhelming grief of knowing, like, he obviously thinks he knows what's happened. 
but then when Tom tells him, just the way he like looks up to the sky, he he's he just has to kind of well it all down, and he says, "I want no inquiries made. I want you to call a meeting with the head of the five families. This war stops now." It's it's such a great bit of like just look at this. It's just so good. It's an amazing scene of mourning. Yeah. So, so and then we of course short. get the. It's very short. It's very very short. I always think of this scene when I think of the Godfather. It's one of the scenes that really stuck with me for, you know, the decade plus that I've watched this film. I mean, it's better to think about this on the wife meeting. <laughs> That's true. You know, you know, actually, what I think still to this day the most brutal domestic violence scene of any movie is. It's in... Uh, I've shown you this film, actually. It's my favourite Australian film, um, Chopper. When? Do you remember? It's the scene where... It's very early in the movie. It's in the first 30 minutes... It's when he's been with his girlfriend, who's the prostitute, and he goes home with her, and then she goes inside after rejecting going to Tasmania with him, and he comes up to the house, because, you know, no one wants to live in Tasmania, but um, <laughs> he comes up to the house, and she's on the phone, and he bursts in through the door, and he just starts beating the shit out of her, and then her mum gets in the way, and he punches her mum in the face. It's just, it's a horrifying scene. But the fact that you don't remember it probably means it wasn't, didn't make that big of an impression. Uh, I mean, I remember other bits. I remember more the... Look what you done now! Your mum's upset! Well, I l- Tanya! I think I remember more the bits he's lying. I think that's... that's oh, it's got so out of good. It. So I'm thinking... That that's, probably didn't yeah. happen then. Right? Because... That's gonna be... He's a liar. That might... Maybe I should do that as my first recommendation on the podcast if we do, like, a one spin-off. Because, like, we've, we've both watched it. It's one of my favourite films ever. It's Australian. It's, you know... I, we should do it before Andrew Dominic's Blonde comes out, which is still, I think, meant to release later this year. Starring okay. Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, we get the scene with Bonacera. Look at how they massacred my boy. It's, it's yeah, he, he actually you know. says something different. So that meme that came out of everywhere, that's not the exact line. Yeah, no, it's look how they massacred my boy, right? Yeah. They say, oh, look yeah, what they've done to my boy. That's a meme, but it's really, he says, look how they massacred my boy, which is, which is more... I, I, I've, seen, I, I've seen people correctly attributing it, like, yeah. Well, I, have, yeah, I didn't, until I like, saw this. The, the bit that I love, well, what's your favourite look how they massacred my boy meme? We have to look at... I love how, how that's the thing from the... God, that's the thing now from The Godfather that people remember, is that No, meme? it's like, not. What, what other memes have come out of The Godfather? Oh, this is the real question. Memes is not what you remember things from. That only happens Luke with... Luke Skywalker one's pretty top. <laughs> uh, that that might be my good. favorite, where you have Luke Oh, no, Skywalker. the Night King. The Night King oh, in Season 4 King. versus the Night King in Season 8. Oh, God. Oh, man. I don't know which one is worse. Game of Thrones or Star Wars. Oh, definitely Game of Thrones. Are you kidding? Star Wars was... Star Wars, Star Wars was already was ruined. never... Yeah, the prequels already ruined it. Like, yeah, so... Game of Thrones no, was like, oh... Return of the Jedi, I might say, already kind of... Oh, yeah, I convinced you to bit. that. Yes. Yeah, you did. You did. You did. You made it... Yeah, I mean... It's, it's fascinating how watching Star Wars and analytically analysing them with you has made me realise two things. The first Star Wars is unquestionably the best Star Wars movie. It's so original. It's so clever. Nope. It's so tight. No, 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 it's, no, no, so, no, no, no. it's so tight and perfect. Return of the Jedi is the best possible sequel ever that perfectly tees up what should be an amazing final film. The final film is fucking terrible. It completely lets you mean down Empire Strikes Back? 
What? You it s- lets down Empire completely. No, yeah. you, you, you said Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Return of the Jedi is terrible and lets it all down. No, no, you said that Return of the Jedi is a perfect sequel that sets up a perfect final film. Oh, sorry. Yeah, e- yeah Empire is... Of course I meant Empire is a perfect <laughs> sequel. Fuck. <laughs> Hot take. I think Godfather Part 3 is also the best Godfather movie. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, Return of the Jedi is the Godfather Part 3. <laughs> it really is the Godfather Part 3. Well, it's not no, terrible, no, but it's, it's like... No, 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 that's true. That's true. It's not as huge a drop in quality as Godfather Part 3. And that's the same thing really? with Game of Thrones, where, you know, seasons one through four are, like, almost perfect, and then they subsequently just get worse and worse. Five and six. Well, I think six is better than five. No, Return of the Jedi is very much better than Godfather Part 3. Really? Like, very, mu- very much so, yeah. We've got to watch this film. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath. <laughs> then we get, of course, the scene where Apollonia is killed by Fabrizio. Why does he kill her? her? He doesn't kill her on purpose. He asks Michael, you'll remember, Michael's on the balcony, and Fabrizio asks him if he's driving himself, and he says, yeah, I want you to take yeah, um, no, I, I, Apollonia to her father's. I, I get that, right? He's meant to be killing Michael. Michael, But yeah. why is he trying to kill Michael? Because obviously, um, not obviously, because it's not in the movie, but Tomasino comes to him and says that it's no longer safe for him, which means, of course, that his enemies are chasing him down to that place. Yeah. So, Barzini or Tatalia or whoever t- paid Fabrizio has outbid Michael and gotten Fabrizio to turn for a reward. Okay. That's at least what I but obviously take after the scene. It's not that's said... That's inferring, our, yeah. right? That's of course, infer it's, that. it's inferred. It's literally just the look Fabrizio gives Michael where he's like, I've betrayed you. Yeah, yeah. But, but what I'll defend is that the thing that doesn't make that contrived is that it's all from Michael's perspective. Which I'm, I'm not saying even more scary. I'm not saying that it's it's, it's a yeah, problem. Yeah. I'm I'm saying that um I might have missed it because the, I completely missed the Abe Bagoda scene. I don't know mm. why Abe Bagoda. I don't know how Abe Bagoda betrayed no, him. That that's so. the that's the exact same thing. The you exact gotta, same you thing have is to where, explain that. It's where Brando. It's where Brando. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So uh, Apollonia dies, and there's a really bad stuffed mannequin hanging out the side of the car. Oh really? If you've ever seen that? Oh, yeah. Go, yeah go look at it. Look at it. You see that? On the left, the little blue like leg. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a mannequin they mannequin they put in there that doesn't look quite good. Unless it's unless it's a car seat that's just been misshapen. No, that's, that's a mannequin. Uh, don't, don't put a mannequin like that in an explorer. <laughs> and then we get one of silly. the we get we get a scene that is just great, and I think Godfather Two completely one ups with just how many people are at this particular meeting. But um, it's this scene's great. I mean, you don't get to know the head of the five families, which is kind of a problem, because at the end of the movie, of course, Michael kills all of these guys. But you don't really remember their faces, except for Tatalia and Barzini. And even when Barzini dies, you don't really see his face. Hmm. Um, but the, the monologue that um, Vito gives... But I have personal reasons. My son is in exile from this country. And if he should return and be harmed, or he should be struck by a bolting bolt of lightning, or he should hang himself in his jail cell like Jeffrey Epstein, then I'm going to blame some of the people in this room, and that I do not forgive. <laughs> didn't, you, didn't you think of that when he said that? I was like, oh, fuck. Nope. <laughs> or he should get shot by a police officer, or he should hang himself in his jail cell. I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Francis. He knew ahead of time. Maybe he conspired to do it. Yeah, maybe Francis killed Jeffrey Epstein. That's who no one's looking at. Yeah. 
Maybe he had. Maybe he had, he, he bankrolled his wine company. Yeah, this is this is the kind of scene why I understand if someone is saying, "No, oh, I'm not getting what's going on in the film." Right. Because uh, I dispute that a little bit. Because you have to, you have all the families here. It's the first thing they get introduced, right? Uh, they're they're at the wedding, but you don't really meet them. Yeah. Are they at the wedding? Yeah, Tatali is there, and oh, Barzini's definitely there. Tatali, I don't think is there. You kind of have but, um, to find. But the other guy, oh, the, the old guy are. who's singing, the old guy who's singing is one of the head of the five families. But you don't he's, have. He's here at this meeting. You don't have Michael saying. No, you. Well. No, no, no. Of course. That guy is part of that family, and that guy is part of that family. And I think that would have. That could have helped. No, but. But my defense to it is that it's not really important who they are. At the end, Michael just needs to say, "I've killed the head of the five families." You've seen a lot of people get murdered. The, the, what this scene is, is it's echoing why Vito made the deal with, why, why Vito refused the deal from earlier, and it's Vito sticking to his morals. And that's one of the things that is powerful about this scene, is that Vito sort of predicts what actually leads to the downfall of the Mafia, which, of course, Coppola could see was the writing on the wall in the 70s, when, you know, the Mafia is basically just, there's a full-on war going on because of drugs between the police. Like... By the 70s, the, the, the roots that the Mafia had into politics, just like the Yakuza in Japan, they're, they're long gone. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's bad or anything. I'm just saying that... No, 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 it's no. Not a, it's not a film that explains this kind of stuff that... Yeah, well. yeah. And, That's um, true. That's very I don't fair. think it's a complaint for me because I, I get the character I don't think it's stuff, the fault of the movie. But um, yeah, I do yeah. think... If some people, someone said that, that I'll be like, sure. I do distinctly, actually, this, this is true, though. I do distinctly remember, because the scene after this is Tom in the car with Vito, and uh, um, Vito says, make sure you uh, keep an eye on Barzini. And Tom's like, you mean Tatalia? And Vito's like, Tatalia's a pimp, but I always should have known it was Barzini who was behind it. And I, I as, at like, you know, eight or nine years old, could not fucking remember who Barzini was. I don't know who is who in right now. So Bazzini is the guy speaking right now. He's the main guy. He's okay. the guy who has been behind everything. But the problem is that the movie, the movie has one more other scene, which is at the wedding where you meet Don Barzini. But it's really only this scene and a mention in an earlier scene where you get to know who Don Barzini is. He doesn't really get a lot of characterization. Which is why when Vito says that, it's still to this day I'm like, oh, I wish they did a bit more with Barzini. Yeah, but then like, again, um, you know, this this is a very you know this is a very dense movie. Like it's a movie that sort of demands your attention. This is one of the things. This is one of the reasons. When, that's why people say this is one of the greatest films of all time. Is that um, it's so a very so it's a very dense film, and you might not get it at first, but it's all explained really. It is all in there. The, the, there's nothing all in there. that there's nothing. It's a lot of inferring you you can do, but. It's, it's not like, oh, and then this happens. Like, there are reasons why things happen and stuff like that. So, it, yeah. it is definitely a movie that is benefited by a repeat watch because you, the context for why things happen is often explained after they've happened, which is sort of the opposite of the Hitchcock school where you create suspense by... Like, the Hitchcock school of thought would be you see Barzini conspiring at the beginning with Tatalia and saying, we're going to kill Vito Corleone. Yeah, and, and then you Whereas have a couple of scenes sort of, with... This Bassini talking to Corleone yeah, yes. and being like, "Hey, you're my friend. I hope you." I talk to the other family. Whereas this right? scene, 
this scene explains that an hour after Vito's been shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to say this. This every time I watch this movie, I just think of um, how much I like Sopranos as well. Oh, it's so good. I mean, I mean, David Chase, you know, was heavily inspired by this film. Well, heavily. Yeah. I mean, they keep making no, but, jokes but, about but it, but not 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 just not just no, but not just because it's about the mob, but because. This really sets the template for what a mob movie really should be about, which is about this irony of two families, right? It's the the mob family and the the, the normal family that we all have, and that's uh, all the, the Sopranos is. That's all Sopranos is is like yeah. bringing that into a modern kind of into a modern post uh, sort of early two thousands when. What I'm trying to say is Sopranos is sort of a wonderful answer for the the emasculation of America. That happens yeah. kind of in the 2000s. Because the, the time of guys like Vito being able to literally kill and murder their way to the top have kind of ended. And that's sort of what Sopranos talks about in a wonderful way. Is yeah. that we're now in the era where it's it's sort of... It's time for a mob boss to get a therapist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so great. I love it. I mean, I, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if you watched that, um, that great video with... Um, what's his name? He's that guy who does all those real-life mobster reviews, movies, video, videos. Oh, um, that guy. What's his name? Frankie, Frankie... I was going to say Frankie Calzone. <laughs> his name's <laughs> not Frankie. Frankie Calzone. What's his name? Um... Uh, Michael Fran- Michael Franchese, who is a character in Goodfellas, which is really funny, but he was <laughs> saying how like the the whole idea that a mob boss could be talking to a shrink, he would be dead like within within a fucking week. Like there was no way he would yeah, ever get away. That's that's that. why they keep <laughs> they kept their secret for so long in Sopranos and stuff. Mm, yeah. Um. I mean, Marlon, again, Mar- every scene with Marlon could have been the scene that won him the Oscar. I think it's almost fair to say that. Yeah. Like every scene where he has dialogue, oh, not, not the scenes where he's in the hospital, but every scene where he has dialogue. Oh, no, when he's he in the is, hospital, he's giving like a small, he like gives, a half he smile. Gives that, that tear, that tear that just comes out of his eyes. It's like, yeah. fuck. But seriously, like, this monologue is incredible. It's so good. Mm-hmm. He, just, mm-hmm. he just kills it. And, and I, I really like the hug that he gives to Talia, where it's like these two men have lost their sons and. It actually genuinely feels like there might be peace. And then, of course, the scene after is Brando saying, we need to watch out because they're going to strike us again soon. Um, I'm, I can't remember which scene comes after this. Skip it. Oh, of course, we get Kay. We get Kay. Um, Michael so has come home. He's Michael been home for about back. a year. This yeah. Is when, no, Michael has been back for a year. <laughs> it's weird. It's kind of weird they skip that scene where Michael returns to his family. Yeah. Because the movie up until this point has been entirely from Michael or Vito's perspective, and all of a sudden it's from think, Kay's perspective. I think what we what what we are saying is that this movie should should have been four hours long, like yeah, which years. Godfather <laughs> two Godfather two fixes. Can you imagine what a two hour cut of this movie must have felt like? Better. It must really. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. More, I think it would have. I think we would have had more scenes with the mob. Families, we would have had more scenes. No, no, with... no, no. Two hour, two hour, not four hour. Oh, two I thought a uh, two hour cut. <laughs> yeah, the original director's cut. What the fuck was that? That have been like? Do you think they, they must have deleted most of Sicily? Yeah, they must have. They must have not had Michael on screen for all of that. Must have gotten rid of Apollonia. They must have. Maybe I don't know, because I don't know how you sell Michael's arc in the second half of this movie without Apollonia's death. 
Because from the moment Apollonia dies, Michael never smiles, he never cracks a joke, he's completely, like, detached for the rest of the movie. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, okay, to answer your question, here is the first reason that Abe Vigoda turns on them. Because Michael refuses Clemenza and he having a chance to break off and form their own family until after they finish their business in Nevada. And that's one of the reasons you're meant to infer that Ava Goda goes to Barzini for help. Okay. Which is maybe a reach, but that's one of the reasons um, that you can read into. Yeah, is that why and then we get... Ava Goda takes so long to stand up? Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to mention something here, but we're going to get more into it in two, and we're going to really get into it in three. Tom Hagen's character is maybe the most fascinating perspective that this film doesn't really do much with. The second one does a bit more with, but because he's not Sicilian, he can't be consulary. He's always wanted to be, but he can't be. Michael just won't trust him. None of the gang, none of the mob will trust him. He's not, you know, he's not Sicilian blood, right? So this scene where Michael dismisses him and says, you know, my father will be my consulary. Um, it's, it's really interesting with what they could have done with the sequel. And they do. And we'll talk about it in part three, what was the um, the original intention. In part three, okay. In part three, yeah. Then we get uh, a fantastic scene in Vegas where he goes and visits Fredo. And um, he meets, you know, Mo Green. Every time I think and of I Fredo, lo- I, cr- I think of Greedo. Greedo, yeah. Um, I don't know maybe why. inspired. Possibly. Um, uh, well Just by the name Look at the glasses he's wearing They look like Greedo's eyes Yeah That's true Greedo's Greedo's forehead is also like Like that shaped It's possible You know how You know how a great movie Always pays off every single thing it sets up Yeah The fucking genius That the first Like one of um, Don's actions, um, to be fair, we don't see the thugs get beaten up who raped um, Bonacera's daughter. But the fact that we see the mob, after helping Johnny get out of a contract at the beginning of the film, we see them force him into a contract towards the end of the film. I think that's such a nice thing. Hmm. That, you know, they, they give him these papers and, like, he doesn't have a choice. They're, they're like, we, we really need you to, um, we need you to agree, please. We trust that you'll say yes. And he's like, yeah, sure, Mike, sure. I'll do anything for my godfather. That's like, what is he no. agreeing to? I'm, I'm not. He's agreeing to he's agreeing to five appearances a year at one of their casinos. It's not like a crazy deal, but they're yeah, they're so locking not... him in. Yeah, it's not unreasonable, but they're I mean, locking I mean, him uh, in. It and could I, have worked, but I think I think that's he so he was talking about this feature film. He's he's getting ready to do it uh, for the next two months, and he says, "Well, I'm sorry, but you have to have to play a character here for two months." Yeah, if you had like a bigger choice, it'd be, it would have been like. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm off to shoot a movie. F- I'm, I'm off to shoot a, you know, I'm off to shoot a, a movie in in Europe for three months. Well, we'd like it if you could um, reschedule that. And then he has a moment to think. Yeah. Like sure. And he's like, yeah, sure, sure, Mike, I'll make it work. Uh, and then we get the great. Uh, oh, of course, we get the very on the nose. I'm going to make him an offer we can't refuse with Mo. <laughs> Wait a second. Look, is, look um, at us improving this masterpiece of a feature film. House. Yeah, yeah. How- I, I, Gabe, how great you know we what? Are. Keep, right. keep, let's let's always do this. Let's always pick apart the best. Next week we're doing Schindler's List. I'm going to talk about why the scenes yes. of the death camps could have been better directed. Yeah, Jesus Christ, Schindler's List. 
I could have sold this watch. Yeah, of course you could have sold it. Uh, what do you think, you fucking piece of shit? I think, I think if David Lean didn't make the egregious mistake in Lawrence of Arabia of not shooting handheld, it would have been a much better film. Miss opportunities in, just, in the greatest films of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else? Shawshank Redemption. I mean... Jesus Christ. You know, yeah, actually, you know, genuine opinion I have about Shawshank Redemption. What? Ending, uh, wrong ending. The wrong ending, ending takes a bit... Yeah. I think it should have just ended with Red leaving Shawshank, hoping to go and meet Andy. But you don't actually see them meet. Okay. I can see that working. I don't I, I don't like that you see Andy building the boat. He's clearly gotten out okay and that Red's there to meet him. I, I heard mean, one person one time say that they're in heaven. I'm like, that's fucking bullshit. That's stupid. Well, what I, I fucking, that's always, whenever there's a scene that completely mismatches with the aesthetic of the ending of a movie, people are like, oh, it's heaven. It's clearly meant to be heaven. Oh, God. It's, lost it's every single movie. Uh, lost, lost. Fuck. I, th- I think um, my... my biggest problem with Shawshank is when it's the whole thing with the guy that kills the wife for real it's like that's a bit oh, too convenient that's bullshit that's, that's too so convenient. convenient that's well th- there's, a, there's a very legit theory that Andy actually did it which I think is kind of cool I kind of well like that's that a question theory. and that's what's um, so cool about it and that's what's so cool about film it is, yeah film yeah. is great okay um, the, the mist is better played by yeah yeah it, it's definitely definitely that's that's an amazing ending um, Alex Rocco, who plays Mo Green, who's fantastic in this. Um, I love... Is it, you know how earlier I mentioned bad ADR? Yep. Like, that. There, there's some lines in this film that are so badly ADR'd. I don't know if you remember this moment, but when Mo's like, um, Colin family doesn't have that muscle anymore. You think you can come to my hotel and take over? I talked to Barzini. I can make a deal with him easily and get you all... Yeah, it's like his voice drops like three octaves for that one line. It's so funny. It's so noticeable. Do you, like, you should definitely watch it and listen to it. No, I think you I noticed. Get... I, no, I, I, I 100% noticed in this scene there was one line that was completely off. Yeah, it's, I talk to Barsini. It, it literally yes. sounds like another actor is doing the line. Yes, I remember it's that. It's so noticeable. I've always noticed it and I always think it's really funny. Like, it's yep. like a Casey Affleck... It's like a Casey Affleck interstellar jump. <laughs> but in reverse. Um, oh, it's so good. Um, and then, of course, you know, is that why you slapped my brother around? I was nothing. Mike Mo didn't mean nothing by that. He was banging cocktail waitresses two at a time. Players couldn't get a drink at the tables. It's so funny to think of John Cazale, like John Cazale looking the way he looks, like fucking hot cocktail waitresses. I mean, he's really wealthy guy, so. I mean, Meryl's, Meryl's got to get her start somewhere. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, no. Oh, man. What's, what's after this? Well, Mo storms out, and uh, there's a great line where Fredo says, Mike, you don't come to Las Vegas and talk to a man like Mo Green like that. Fredo, you're my brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. And that's what happens Which in the second film, right? It, I was going to say, it's the most excellent foreshadowing for a movie that hadn't even been written yet. It's perfect. It's so good. I think Brian Johnson should have watched this film. <laughs> I actually think Godfather Part 2 may well be the best sequel ever made. Because, like, it ends the franchise perfectly. Like, you don't have to watch 3. Unlike Empire, you literally do not have to watch Godfather 3. Well, that's not the... That, that's a good reasoning. For the sake but of I this just, podcast, I just think we are that not I, doing it that way. But I just think that that makes Godfather Part 2 a better film overall, but... 
Empire is a better sequel because you don't really want your franchise to be over in that fast. Oh, by the way, so we go from the scene in Las Vegas back to the family home, and all of a sudden Michael has a child who is about three or four years old. <laughs> so yeah, we've we've had another time jump, completely unexplained. Damn. How old do you think? Um, how old is uh, is his son's name's Anthony? Yeah, yeah, Anthony. How how old is Anthony in that? Do you think? Could be five. I think he's about. Yeah, I think he's about five, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's he's pretty old. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful child actor. Like wonderfully directed by whoever was directing him at the moment. It must be if you watch in Endgame, and then the opening happens, and then you just cut to uh, the Ant Man stuff. I don't know yeah. how long it's been. Well, it, it would yeah, make yeah. sense in that film because you have the mystery. It's like, ooh, how long it's been? We don't know. And then explain it. So that would actually make sense there. And here is like, what? He has a kid? It's like, what the? F- what? I was hoping we'd get through one podcast without talking about Marvel, but I, I, I just. You brought it up. Captain America. Captain America, yeah. You brought um, it up. And then you brought it up again. And I did it. All right. Here's. This is, this is my favorite scene of the movie. So here's, here's the reason Abe Vigoda gets called out. Because. Brando is telling, uh, sorry, uh, Vito is telling Michael, Barzini will move against you first. He'll set up a meeting with someone you absolutely trust. He'll make, he'll guarantee your safety. And at that meeting, you'll be assassinated. And uh, right after, literally at Vito's funeral, um, Tessio comes up to him and says, there's a meeting set. Barzini wants to meet. We'll be on my turf. I can guarantee protection for you. And that's how Michael knows that Tessio's betrayed him. And you see Tessio talking with Barzini. Okay. Yeah. So Brando is the one who spills the beans on Abe Vigoda without meaning to. But this scene is like... I don't know about you, but I've had, like... No, not really with, like, an older father figure, but I, I definitely... You know, th- this feels like a father and a son talking about their hopes and dreams for what their family could have been. And this scene is, like, genuinely kind of heartbreaking with the way that Brando plays it. And Michael just doesn't care, which is, I think, why... The effectiveness of this movie, like I said in the previous part, is that you mourn Vito when he dies and you get genuinely afraid of what Michael has become. What But what Vito says about, like, are you spending time with your wife and child? And he's like, yeah. And Michael, Vito's like, yeah, that's good, that's good. And it's, it's almost like Michael's just dismissing it. That's why I think... Um... I think that's why I thought Sonny. Is that the brother's name, Sonny? Sonny, yeah, Santino, yeah. Santino. That's why I, I thought Sonny would have been a better boss head. Like, I, yes, I, I thought he would have been a better godfather because. Um, yes. Oh no! He, actually, yeah, yeah. He did seem like he could a bit more. He he was a bit over, over his head, but he seemed like. I a mean, guy he that, fucked a lot of women behind his wife's back. Don't forget. Yeah, but he was he was also pretty mad when something happened to a family member of his that he would act on it, and and like he did seem like he might he did care about the family a bit more. Michael is so cold; he seems like. But you've, yeah, yeah. You've got to remember that Sonny that Sonny also was kind of the guy who fucked things up for them in a way because he just wanted to go into all out war. And I think it might have gone better if they went in an all out war. Well, I don't know what happens in part two, so. 
I don't know, maybe it's fine. Oh, no, the, the, the war is over by the end of this one, that's for sure. The war gets I, ended I, by I, Michael very I, quickly. I do think... We'll see part three, but that line, that famous line of every time I want to get out, they'll pull me back in. It seems a bit weird, a bit off after seeing this film. Because... Yeah, and Michael is a different character in part three to parts one and two. He's actually a different character. He seems like he wants... He likes it. Um, yeah, no, he, he, is meant, he is meant to love it by the end of this film. Yeah. Like, that's a million percent the intention. And part two just doubles down on that. Like, Michael Michael is actually genuinely very scary in some parts of part two. Like, he's meant to be He's meant to be very upsetting with the way that he behaves. And and that's the genius of having young Vito, is you get to see the different ethoses of these men and the way that they became criminals. And the way they were dons, because you're seeing both of them kind of rise to power at the same time. Yeah. Um... But this scene, you know, this is just... Of all the scenes with Brando acting, this is the scene where, like, I genuinely think he transcends just being... Just being, you know, a mob boss, and he becomes, like, the greatest father in film history. Like, I I knew that Santino would have to go through this, and Fredo... uh, But I never wanted this for you. I worked my whole life. I don't apologize for taking care of my family. And I refuse to be a fool dancing on a string held by all those big shots. And my dream was that in time you would be the one to hold the strings. Senator Senator Corleone. Governor Corleone. There just wasn't time, Michael. There wasn't enough time. And he's like, we'll get there, Pop. We'll get there. It's the last scene they have together. I think it's very deliberate that it's Vito's last scene talking about organized crime. And that he ends up talking about his dreams for the family. Hmm. And it's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Like, it's just, it, it really is one of those scenes in cinema that I think is part of the reason why the movie is so effective. And it's not, the, it's kind of, for me, it's, it's very similar to the Luke Skywalker staring out at the twin sun shot. Where, on paper, you'd think that was a shot or a scene you could cut out. Right? Just follow me with this for a second. On paper, you think that you could remove this scene and the binary sun scene. But they add so much to the emotional flavour of the world of their movies that without them, the movie feels less full of heart. I mean, I'm not, I'm not getting... I'm not getting that emotional like you are at this scene. I mean, I, I get no, what that, you mean. I get what you mean. But I'm like, ah... Uh... But, like, everybody knows what I, it's like to have but a I knew, family member reflect on but I what they hoped what, for their family, and then the family hasn't gone that way, or it's, it, they've let them down. I don't know, I don't really have that. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I, I do think this is... Uh, it's it's a nice final scene, because that's, that's his last scene in the film. With Michael, yeah. And you can't... Well, it's his last moment in the film apart from his death right I'm not gonna say yeah, his death yeah, yeah. is it's a great character moment because it's just I think him. it's pretty great I, it's just him spending time with his kid there's, there's not you don't see not, his shades of like being a mob while be the, being a father at the same time right no, but he's, the last he's thing a, but he's a wonderful grandfather which is I think very great that that's how he dies it's not like he just dies sitting in the chair he dies playing with his grandson like that's such a 
crazy touch. Like that that that's definitely not in the book. I uh, from what I remember, like that's it's just so brilliant that like he doesn't die the way that a mob boss you know traditionally should die. Like he he dies you know surrounded uh, with with his loved one beside him and. The, the acting of the young boy, like, when Brando falls, and obviously the boy doesn't know what it's meant to mean, but the fact that he goes up and sprays him with the watering can to try and get him up is just such a... No, well, that's such not an what... Th- th- you kid, don't think that's kid, what he's trying to do? No, the kid's playing with him. He thinks it is. Yeah, the kid, think, still part the kid of the thinks game. that he's just... Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So he's just playing with him. And then when he doesn't move, the kid... Make yeah. him go up. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, no, I, I meant that. The kids are still playing. Like, yeah, it's just it's it's a great touch, and I mean, yeah, it's a great death scene. Yeah, and the oranges, the fucking oranges, the people won't shut up about. I'm sure the oranges uh, are going to be everywhere in in three. When, when, three, three in, in the circle, like when when before the helicopter scene, is everyone oh, eating there, oranges? It's everyone is eating there oranges, is, right? Oh, no, no, it's better than that. There's a there's a bowl looking like a crocken bush with just tower of oranges. <laughs> I literally think there's like a tower of oranges in the middle of the table. <laughs> uh, I would have imagined that someone would have choked on choked on an orange yeah. slice in three. They just choke there's on it. Just, like, uh, yeah, Ma- Michael, lit- Michael literally just dies from choking on an orange. <laughs> no, but it, it, there's just this yankster moment at the inside the actor studio where Francis Ford Coppola was interviewed and. Um, Somebody just asked him, what were your decision? What, what inspired you to do the Godfather part three? And he just like looked at him for a second and said, bankruptcy. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's fucking, that's so true. But to be fair, that's what inspired him to do Godfather one. So it's not a terrible, um, not terrible motivation. It's like when they asked Woody Allen, uh, why does he make up? Why do you make a movie every year? And he said, money. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I- I don't, I don't know if Woody Allen makes that much money from his films still. He must, but like... But he still he, makes no, a to, couple to million fair, per I, film. Like, I haven't seen Woody Allen's last five films. The last film of his I saw was... Um, may have been Blue Jasmine. Definitely in theatres it was Blue Jasmine. But um, the fact that he has made a movie every single year since 1974, that's insane, right? Like, that's... There is no you can dispute that that's... Is he the director with most films? Most films he's directed? No, John Ford is by far, like, John Ford's ridiculous. John Ford, I think, has, like, more than 100 feature credits. It's insane. He he was literally shooting, like, three westerns a year at one point. He was just insane. That's why he made some of the best movies of all time, because he had the greatest hit ratio of any director. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he just made like so a, many that some of them imagine if like there was a guarantee if you made a hundred films one of them would be a masterpiece would you do it like the rest yeah, it's, like, shit, it's like if they give one you one of them is the godfather yeah. it's like they give you a hundred million dollars instead of making one really expensive film you make a hundred little films it's like one of them must be good well Jason Blum's philosophy Jason Blum's philosophy yeah so, yeah, it's here at the funeral that you see Ava Goda come up to Michael and say, we're going to have the meeting on my turf, etc., etc. And then you see Ava Goda go and speak with Barzini in this shot here. You see here where Ava Goda just comes around behind him and chats with Barzini and it's clear what he's telling him. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's when Michael's like, yep, yeah, I'm going to have, just have to have Tessio killed. Yep. 
And that's why Michael doesn't go to the meeting. And, and, and then we, of course, get the baptism scene, which is, you know, the most copied scene from this movie, definitely. Is it? I mean, it's been copied in a lot of things. Like, obviously, oh, yeah. um, got... Yeah. yeah Smallville yeah. Season 3 most famously copies it. Really? Was yeah, it the Smallville has murders Lionel like Luther that? get... Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, they all come back. It's, mate, it's a it's a superhero show. They all what come the fuck back. Is, what is small is small bill? I know Superman's uh, like, origin, but really, yeah, it's like Superman's time in Kansas. It's it's a decent show. Michael Rosenbaum is still the best Lex Luthor. Okay. Um, but it, it it ends season three ends with Lionel Luther shaving his head, and as his head's being shaved, um, everybody like in the show gets blown up. It's really funny. <laughs> And I, rem- I only remember that because I watched um, I watched it like a couple of like a year or two after I watched The Godfather. I was like, oh fuck, right, just ripped off The Godfather. I mean, this is just one of the great you know great mob sequences of all time. Yep. I mean, literally, you know, family, love juxtaposed against um, death, and and of course the act of religious. Um, religious sedition and partaking in moralistic rituals like baptism at the same time as you're ordering murder. That's just, you know, it's great. Yeah. It's great. And again, it's Sophia Coppola, who's the baby, which is just incredible. That's, that's, that's such incredible. a wonderful, yeah. that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful fact. I love that. So, I mean, she was born, she was born during filming, which is so crazy. Sophia Coppola has been, she's been acting for, <laughs> all oh, her I, life I, I literally actually, I, I, of course it must but I've got to go to her IMDB page and just check that it is her first credit oh my god <laughs> that's they just funny. slipped one in right before Godfather <laughs> what did she what did she win an Oscar oh yeah for Lost in Translation screenplay I think she won an Oscar for yeah okay what what's your favourite um, Sofia Coppola that you've I seen what, what I have yeah, she, yeah yeah her first Okay, her first two credits are The Godfather, Michael Francis Rizzi, uncredited, and then Godfather Part 2, Child on a Ship, uncredited. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, we won't talk about it till later, but she's in Godfather 3. And she's in Star Wars The Phantom Menace. What? She's one of the handmaidens in The Phantom Menace. We didn't mention this on Phantom Menace, but she's a handmaiden. Oh, that's right. Yes. Ah, yeah. oh, it's all full circle. Um, what, what Coppola's have you seen? Sofia Coppola's, I don't know. Uh, I would very much recommend Virgin Suicides, The Beguiled, Lost in Translation. Marie Antoinette's pretty good. But I mean, yeah, I've I think, seen uh, Lost in Translation. For but... you, yeah, Lost in Translation's great, but um, I think The Beguiled might be my favourite of hers, and it's her most recent one. It's okay. kind of like, um, it's it's interesting. It's it's This is a very, like, um, this is a very generalistic way to describe The Beguiled, but it's like if Little Women was about murder. Okay. <laughs> so, I think you'll enjoy it more. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the assassinations are great. I mean, Bazzini gets shot on the steps. Uh, Clemenza kills two people in their... Uh, no, Clemenza kills the two guys in the elevator. These two guys with machine guns um, shoot up the, uh, the guys in the beds. Natalia gets shot in the doorway, I think. It's 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 an awesome scene. Mo Green, Mo Green gets shot in the eye, which is something you'll love from a special effects perspective is the reason that Mo Green has glasses, because the guy he's based on didn't wear glasses in real life. 
um, the reason he wears glasses is so that they could hook up the hose around the glasses to spray the blood in. Yeah, I know. I noticed that. It was pretty great. Yeah, it's really How do they really crack it? it? It must be a tiny um, primer or a charge, right? Like the way they, they typically do it. But yeah, it's crazy yeah. that you can do that right next to an actor's eye. Yeah. Like it's, a, it's an amazing... It's a really good effect. Like, I'm just watching it now. And, like, it's it still really holds up. And the blood is just awesome. It's... it's yeah, it's I, I definitely... It's, 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 it's a good movie. It's, great. Yeah. Um, it's all right. <laughs> it's a pretty bloody good movie. And then, it's you know, baptism's film. over. And, of course, the next scene we get is Connie... Oh, no, Carlo gets murdered. Um, they take Carlo back to the house. They um, they move, they kill Abe Vigoda. They yeah. take him away... I love that all of a sudden it's just him and Tom walking out to the car. It's just the two of them. This is an amazing Kurosawa level one shot. The two of them walk out to the car. Third guy runs in. Fourth guy behind them. Ava goes like, what? That screws up all my arrangements. That doesn't work for me. And then so all of a sudden a guy comes in from the left of screen and the right of screen and front of screen. Like he's just surrounded instantly. It's so, it's great. It's, yeah. it's a very Kurosawa blocking. It is a very Kurosawa blocking. Mate, steal from the best. Yeah, just but it, man, you, you can't it, you really can't good. you can't see all of their faces. One thing with Kurosawa did, you yeah. could always see everyone's faces. Didn't matter if there were twenty or thirty people, you could always mm. see everyone's faces. I don't know how he did that. It's very yeah, interesting. He was, just, he was he was just the most accidentally genius director who ever lived. Yeah. Do you think one day on set he was like? Oh wow, they're all sitting that certain way, and that looks really good. Should I just tell them to sit more natural? Nah. And everyone just kept sitting in these amazing geometric configurations on all these films and he never questioned it. Nope, he never questioned it. I mean, I, I can't tell you how useful that... You, I showed you that um, example I did in Cine Tracer, right? Where I did the Seven yeah. Samurai scene, yeah. right? That that was so hard to frame accurately. You must have doing that with actors. It's just... But with a physical camera in a wooden hut with rain machines. Like, that. that's crazy that they got that shot. It's so... But literally... Yeah. The, the, the actors, when you look at it from the side, it makes no sense that they would ever sit like that. But when you see the shot, it's like, of course. like it, It's just crazy how he was able to do stuff like that. And I think part of it is the fact that he was a painter and an art student. And he was able to, you know, paint and draw in these very, you know, elaborate configurations. And then, you know, how do I make that practical? Yeah. Yeah, he, he's so good. Coppola too. Coppola's just phenomenal. I mean, he, he's, he's an amazing... Um, director of composition I don't think he gets enough praise for that actually we get yeah the scene with Carlo where um, Michael okay big point I need to make it about Al Pacino's acting Al Pacino really after this film falls into a bit of the school of yelling as acting and what I love about this performance is that except for the moment um, when Apollonia dies and for when, at the end of the film, he snaps at Kay, which is just him saying, ENOUGH! And he slams the table, which is a terrifying moment. You don't ever see Al Pacino go into, you know, center the woman, hoo-ha, Al Pacino. Which he does a bit in Godfather 2. Hmm. So it's, it's one reason I think his performance in this is just so dialed in. Like, he is so terrifying in the scene where he's interrogating Carlo, and he is whispering the whole time. Yeah. Just tell me, because when you don't tell me the truth, I get very upset. Come so on, he, Carly, he didn't know that Carlos did anything, widow, would you? right? No, he did. He did. He figured it out. Oh, he did before this. 
I, I, he, he doesn't know who paid Carlo. But uh. he, he's figured out that Carlo did something. And he just wants to know who. So he asks him and he says, you know, it was Barzini. So he admits it. And then it's like, we've got to kill him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good. They kill him. They strangle him. It's all right. And then we get the final scene of the movie, which is where Connie confronts Michael in a scene that's very similar to the scene in Scarface, now that I think about it, where it's the sister whose husband he's murdered confronting him in his office. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's a great scene. Great scene. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think Tally Shire's excellent. See, yeah. It, how many years after is Rocky? Is it three years? Is Rocky 75? 76, so it's, yeah, it's um, four years after this. It's so crazy. I didn't realise until I did research for this that Talia Shire is Francis Ford Coppola's sister. That's just crazy. Really? Yeah, she's his sister. Oh, so, damn. So, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. That's what a family. And I mean, you know, Nicholas he bits her in the film. nephew. <laughs> Who? He, well, she's beaten in the film, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, beaten, acting beaten, yeah. Yeah, that's... that's, that's... Kind of I mean, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't want her to play the role. He he actually like turned her down when she asked for an audition until like she was able to convince the producer that she'd be good for the role. But yeah, she's excellent. She's excellent in this film, and I and I think she's really good in two, and I think she's terribly written in three. Um. Anyway, uh, Kay and Michael have their scene where you know Kay asks him, "Is it true? Don't ask me about my affairs, Kay. Don't ask me about affairs. Enough." And it's, it's great that you see the dark side of Michael really emerge. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a really scary transformation, just for one one second. He's he's great. And then just this one time, I'll let you ask me about my business. Michael, is it true? No. And she leaves. She's like, I guess we could both use a drink. And she leaves. And something that's just so great is that the gangsters who come to meet Michael for this final shot don't come from the hallway. They come out of, like, some hidden entranceway. To meet yeah. with him. Like, one comes in from the right, another one comes... Oh, no, they both come in from the right. They all come in from the right. And, yeah. you know, it's... There's a reason this is one of the most iconic ending shots of all time. Because it's just... Although, I always get it wrong. I always think it's the door closing facing Michael, but it's the door closing facing Kay. Yeah. Which is just the great ambiguity of this this moment. Well, I mean, it's, I told it's you when she realises that he lied. Fu- yeah, yeah he, he absolutely lied, and she's now stuck with this guy. Because how do you divorce one of the most powerful people in the country? Yeah. It's a, it's great that it ends with her, actually. In fact, well, it's kind of um, interesting that the uh, movie... It's not that important in the film, so... I know, I know. But what I'm going to say is that it's great that the movie begins with Bonacero, who's an outsider to the mafia, and it ends with Kay, who's an outsider to the mafia. Okay. That's kind of an interesting detail. And yeah. I mean, it's so great that, you know, we're inside the door. We are now inside the world of the mob... And the people like Kay, the, the, the civilians in the real world, have been shut out and we've been brought in. That's that's really just great stuff. Hmm. I think that's very purposeful, that the door shuts her out from the world we've stepped into. Yep. I mean, yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say. I mean, this is just one of the great films. So you said that they always plan part you. No, they planned part two the, no, no, halfway no. through filming. During, towards the end of filming, they were like, yeah, absolutely, yeah. we're going to do us. We, we we could do a sequel. They, they were like, we could do a sequel. It would have to make money, but it, we could do a sequel. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, and it's it's so great that De Niro didn't get the role of Sonny so that he was able to come and play Vito. And and by the way, now with um, the Joker That's right. and Abraham Lincoln... Yeah, yeah, the Joker is now the latest. The Joker is the third character who two actors have won an Oscar for playing. Because Abraham Lincoln was the first, because I believe Henry, uh, I believe Henry Fonda and um, Daniel Day-Lewis both won Oscars for playing Lincoln. Daniel Day-Lewis, of course, did. And then... Uh, yeah. Marlon wins and De Niro wins for playing Vito, and really? then you know we've got we get Heath and yeah 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 it's crazy. Oh, both of whom both of whom don't for... show up to accept their Oscar. Both of whom don't show up to accept their Oscar. Okay, so De Niro yeah. wins I mean, I... for playing Vito. Vito. Okay. okay, and sends Sa- Sashim Littlefeather in his place, which um gets him basically kicked out of Hollywood again, which is such a gangster move. Have you, have you watched that speech that she gives? No. It's pretty wonderful. And uh, what happens is he sends Sashim Littlefeather, who was a spokesperson for Native American rights, and she talks about how Brando doesn't want to accept the Oscar because of the treatment of Native Americans in Hollywood. And um, people just start booing her. And she's very polite when she opens up the speech. She's like, he he, he, he doesn't want to accept this incredibly generous award. He's very grateful for, all, for the Academy. Um, but he can't accept it because of the treatment of Native Americans. And before she even starts speaking, people are just like, boo, boo. But then a whole bunch of people applaud her. It's just one of those ugly moments where you get to see just how, you know, people in Hollywood don't like being reminded about, you know, how the rest of the world kind of sees them. <sighs> but yeah, Brando... Brando sort of slips after this film. Like, he does last, uh, he does his other masterpiece film from this era, which is um, Last Tango in Paris where on camera, I don't know if you know this, but he commits just a hideous, um, hideous sex crime against uh, Maria Schneider. On camera? Yes, on camera. It's in the movie. He, like, is basically raping Maria Schneider on camera for a few scenes of that movie. Really? It's, it's quite... It's, yeah, yeah. And um, before his death, Bertolucci basically admitted to it. It's, it's very gross. It's very gross. I mean, Brando's... Last truly iconic performance um, after this is uh, I was gonna say oh yeah Superman is first playing Jarrell and then Apocalypse Now hmm. also with Francis where he just gives Francis hell all through the production. That that movie was very interesting. The Docker. Hard oh, it's so good. Made by, made by made by Eleanor. Yeah, it's an amazing documentary. I mean, Brando um, on "Listen to Me, Marlon," where they, it's his audio tapes um, edited together. It's a beautiful film. Um, he really disputes that he actually wrote a huge amount of the dialogue for Kurtz, and he worked with Francis extensively trying to get the character right. But it is true that you know Kurtz in the book is meant to be this gaunt, skinny, like. POW looking thing and Brando because he works in the Russell Crowe school of acting uh, said oh but I'm a fat guy so he's now a fat guy (laughs) Russell Crowe school of acting yeah like Russell Crowe looks at the roles he can play and he's like yeah I'm in pretty good shape to play Roger Ailes (laughs) it's like they keep saying he's going to do Master and Commander it's like Russell couldn't fit on the fucking boat to do Master and Commander at the moment (laughs) Like, I don't want to be mean, but Russell is huge now. Like, he's massive. Jesus Christ. God. Like, he, he can't play Robin Hood anymore. He's got to play Little John. Anyway. Um, I, lo- I love Russell. Russell's great. He's been compared a lot to Brando, for better or for worse. Okay. 
It's kind of weird. He's got that same. He's got that same kind of intense energy. Definitely in LA Confidential, you can see it. Which if if you haven't seen LA Confidential, oh no. man, you would love that movie. It's like a '90s Curtis Hanson. It, it's like like The Godfather. It's a film made contemporary that's set in the '40s, and it's just a great. I mean, it's a it's a great three tier acting trifecta of Russell Crowe, Guy Pearce, and Kevin Spacey, and it's just it's a fantastic film. Um, I was I was quite sad when Curtis Hanson passed away recently because he was going to do um, he was going to do a film that got taken over by Jay Roach. I'm trying to remember which one it was. I think it was the Sarah Palin movie that was quite good. Anyway, so Brando Brando's career basically plummets after this. He does the Island of Doctor Moreau, which we've talked about before. Yeah. His final on screen performance is the score directed by Frank Oz you know, um, famous for playing, you know, the Yoda. And have I told you the story about Brando on the score? No. Okay. Brando showed up for his day of filming after agreeing to be in the film. He was so, so sick that all his scenes had to be shot with him sitting down, which Frank Oz accommodated. But every time Frank Oz tried to give Brando direction, like, like really simple direction, like saying, okay, Marlon, we're going to shoot a close up. We're going to shoot a wide shot now. And Brando would be like, oh no, you're Miss Piggy. We don't need a wide shot. And he just repeatedly called Frank Oz Miss Piggy, which is just, just so mis- like I, I don't I, I I don't want to be mean to Frank Oz, but that that's a fucking that's a that's an amazing insult to throw at a director. That's really but, funny. Like he is Miss Piggy. Yeah, but you hear that and you think, so what? Yeah, so what? Like so what? But um, I'm Miss yeah, Piggy. Brando- so what? But what Frank Oz does, the, the solution that De Niro and Frank Oz come up with is just genius, which is that Frank Oz gives De Niro an earpiece and De Niro basically oh, gives suggestions to Brando. That, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. He that's gives suggestions that, to Brando on, um, and Brando's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Robert, I respect you. It's a good idea. And that's how Frank Oz directs Marlon Brando. And, like, you watch that performance of De Niro and you're like, he's giving two performances. He's having to act as the character and he's having to act as I'm not directing Marlon Brando. And also, De Niro, great director, so probably helped the film. <laughs> is that a good film? That he directed? Oh no, the yeah, score is terrible. The score, the score, oh. the, the score is really terrible. Like it's Edward Norton is doing a really good job. He only did it because he could. He, he only he literally said that the reason he did it was because he imagined a poster saying Robert De Niro, Edward Norton, Marlon Brando, and he was like, "I've got to do that." But um, yeah, no, it, it's not a very good film. It's okay. like a very generic um, post Ocean's heist movie. Okay. I mean, when when is De Niro or Edward Norton really bad? Like De Niro's been in so many bad films. Oh, Edward Norton has actually is, been bad. It's when is he bad? Edward Norton's never been bad in something I can think of. The Hulk. No, he's fine. He's fine. He's very <laughs> unmemorable, but he's fine. Anyway, um, Al Pacino, of course, skyrockets into fame after this. Like he just has. An incredible decade of movies. Like, he does Serpico the same decade. He does Dog Day Afternoon with John Cazale. I mean, this really is... Um, this really, more than any other decade, is Pacino's decade of, of fame. Um, yeah, I mean, th- this movie is just... Just terrific. Yeah, it's just wonderful. terrific. There's, there's nothing else to really say about it. Yeah, it's... I don't really have too much to say about it, except I'm excited yeah. to see part two. 
I think. Um, yeah, me too. I'm really I, excited. I probably have that. more to say about part two and part three because those are the things I'm very, not familiar yeah. with. So. Yes. Part one I, is I like. Have a very, it's good. Mm, <laughs> What's it? Yeah, I mean, you, you can remember what else every can I say? line basically from from part one. Part two, I have a very strange connection with. I'll tell you about um, next time. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that has been The Godfather, part one. Yep. Part two of the podcast. Part uh, one, part thank two. Thank you so much. <laughs> part one, part, part 1.2. Um, thank you so much for listening to our cinematic universe. Uh, yeah. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook and feel free to rate us on iTunes if you're listening to us on there. Oh, that's right. And yeah, we'll see, we'll see you back next time uh, for The Godfather, part two. Yeah, we'll see you right there. We'll make you an offer we can't we'll make you an offer you can't refuse. Come back next time for an even better movie question mark. Is it? <laughs> Alright. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk about bye. it. Bye. Okay, bye.